Hi, this is Richard Bartlett. I had a conversation recently with two of my friends and colleagues, Bernard Resch and Theodore Tapticalis, I call him Teddy. And we were exploring some of the research questions invited by Microsolidarity. So I wanted to share this podcast, I guess, this conversation for anyone who's following along at home and wants to track some of these references that we've made. I've pulled out tons and tons of links into the show notes um, for you to go and explore more of the context that we're swimming in. And if you want to contribute anything to this conversation, please drop me a line or even better, say something in public on whatever platform you use and just use the hashtag microsolidarity and I'll find it there. Thank you. Unlucky thing happens. Yeah. What's this about metamodern? Well, um, so the idea on the table, Rich, as I understand it, is that maybe we take the uh, microsolidarity paper or blog post as a backdrop mm -hmm. and think about um, what does that invite in terms of actual work and you know connection and yeah, the possibility of funding and fellowships and so on. And what that reminds me of is the meta-modern conversation is also a backdrop, but there isn't a so what from it yet. You know, there's not a piece of work, or ongoing work that's happening, mm. uh, apart from the guys in the centre doing some writing. Yeah. So, and that's kind of unsatisfactory, because there's, there's not shared learning happening. It's especially unsatisfactory to me because... The writing is so captivating and delicious, yeah. but it's all set in the distant future as far as I'm concerned. Like, they're solving problems that are so far ahead of the problems that we actually have right now. Like, how are we going to deal with these much more subtle forms of coercion that are going to emerge from mm. a psychological welfare state? Like, that's really a 20 years away problem. Yeah. And I'm sort of concerned about if we get society still in 20 years. It's kind, of, it's kind of the same as all of this um, blockchain and DAOs and things like this. It's like all this potentially quite impressive technology, but it, it's at least 15 years before it delivers anything meaningful. And I'm like, it's the wrong yeah. return horizon to be focused on. Right, so... Yeah. So, so, so therefore, we're looking at kind of research and uh, co-development that has an early payback but has an immediate payback. So yeah, because I think it's on the horizon that's, that the society that we, are, that we know, like modern society, is breaking down, like the society of the masses you know, with blockchain and um, all the different uh, initiatives that are coming up with digital technology. So, so we need to relearn to be in these little, group, little groups together. And later to learn, of course, also how these little groups can work together. But mm. I think the first thing is how can... How can small groups be together in a non-coercive, uh, healthy way? So can you crystallize, because you're like ahead of the game on this, Rich, for us some practical questions out of you know, testable hypotheses within Microsoft Solidarity? Yep. Can you see some nuggets? Well, I think that one step before that is when I wrote the post, it was for my own sake. It was just to clarify, it's like a reflective learning paper. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, this is what I've been thinking about. Um, I want to put it 
write it down so I can see the gaps in thinking and research them and um, make some references and things. And I want to see how it lands with people that I respect, that I see are my peers or that they're working in related fields. Um, that was kind of the motivation. And then that's the writing motivation. But then the publishing motivation, I realized after I published it that I had this whole other dimension, which is I want other people to also do something like this. You know, like it's kind of like a movement. Um, I want to be starting a movement. I don't actually just want to make one try. Yeah. And I didn't realize how that motivation was really present until after I published it yeah. and got all these re references. So there's immediately a work to translate from a personal story with what, a plan for one person and one tribe to a bigger thing, which is um, uh, applying language to multiple tribes running in parallel. And, um, and yeah, I'm not really sure on, on how to bridge from, those, from one position to the next one. And are you, we, ready to make that leap? Do you have to get started with one tribe before? Well, I've already started with one tribe. So the, the work that immediately jumped to me as soon as I got onto this, um, and you know, like I'd, I'd, I made a post, got a bunch of responses from people, like m many more responses than anything else I've ever written. Mm -hmm. Like probably compared to the number of people that have read it, it's probably like a hundred times more responsive than anything else I've written or something. There's really something in the air. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it touched yeah. something. Um, let's see. And my immediate, what, what I felt most called to do was to track my lineage. So um, for me, Inspiral is the parent congregation. And that made me go, well, where, who are my grandparents? So I, I, there's a first job to do, which is to interview Joshua um, Billy Matheson. So he's one of the founders of Regen, which is like gave birth to Inspiral. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I know that he was at Heart Politics, and that makes me want to interview both Vivian Maderborn and Vivian Hutchison, who were both involved in setting up um, Heart Politics. Which, so there's like this kind of chain of congregations that have birthed each other. And... We're barely even conscious of those relationships, and then I'm going to go and start another one. It's like I want to know what my lineage is, and many of those um, parents and grandparents, I think, have been much more circumspect about what they share in public. So I want to understand what's the value of secret societies and secret knowledge, and what's the value of transparency, and can I take that secret knowledge and publish it um, while honouring the source and, and you know like respecting why they've been conservative with what they've shared so far yeah that's uh, a great question and it's in my work too exactly in my you know story listening work probably the biggest parallel so those are those are all small things they're all small local things in New Zealand but the biggest parallel that I can see to micro solidarity there's one which is out of hosting so out of hosting being uh, a frame for a whole bunch of practices and a bunch of people that are working and they're building community and they're like influencing the um, European Commission you know like they've been working on the EC for the last 10 years and now there's a bunch of people in European agencies who have been trained in participatory leadership and things like that like that's that's a really impressive piece of work yeah and I, I was in such a storytelling circle when Toke uh, Muller who founded the Art of Posting thing told his story mm. of how he and his wife came up with the idea mm. it's pretty impressive yeah? uh, so that's an open source uh, idea 
of spreading it is really cool, I think. That's, a, that's again, it's like lineage. Those are my cousins. Yeah. Um, and I want to know what happened there and what did they learn from the founding and how it spread and what are the shortcomings and all that. Yeah. Um, the other one that's kind of uh, uh, maybe a second cousin is the Mankind Project, which is... I've heard about that. So Mankind Project is a men's group. Mm. And they, I think they started in this sort of like, it's either like California or um, the East Coast, but it's one of these kind of um, white, hippie Americans that are like, hey, it would be good to get men together and talk about emotions and mm. um, develop some safe space to be vulnerable and explore what's a more positive mm. kind of masculinity and stuff. Okay. And I think they started in like the 70s or the 80s. And I met one of the founders, Bill Cow. Um, and he was so encouraging. I met him in North Carolina. Oh, no, in Oregon. And then he lives in North Carolina. So I got him twice. Um, and he was super, super encouraging to me and told some of the story of the Man Mankind Project, which started with one group. And they would meet every week or two weeks or something. And then in the space of about 20 years, now there's thousands of groups, I think. I think there's like 60,000 people participating or something. My son Tom is one of those. Right. And it's really, it's really deep from what I've heard. I've never been to one of the events. Like I'm kind of put off by the gender framing. Um, but from what I've heard from people that are really heavily involved, now they've got a really robust manual for how to handle any situation that can come up in a group. I mean, they're, they're dealing with like the deepest kind of traumas mm -hmm. and the, the most vulnerable situations. Um, they've got a manual, they've got a whole leadership development program, they've got a kind of certification thing for when you're qualified to host what degree of, you know, like how deep a container you can hold and they have, um, wow. they've, as I understand it, <coughs> dissolved the legal entity in the centre because the, the um, decentralisation of power has been so successful that um, they've basically got a council process where they send regional representatives together for once a year and they kind of update the rules and, and the processes in the, the big handbook. And then they go back and it's, it's mostly happening at a local level. Like the AA, same thing. They, they, um, the, the, in the AA they say that the group conscience is the ultimate authority. And it's the small group conscience, it's, it's not the, the high level thing. So um, with the Mankind Project, they've, they've really reached a kind of scale that I think is making an impact in a historical sense. Um, and all of their knowledge is secret. There's this kind of like... You, you only get access to this book once you've like, graduated yeah. through some levels of course and I want to understand the value of that and then I want to um, open source it and degender it because it's um, mostly about being a human more than being a man I'm pretty sure <laughs> having not participated <laughs> where does the indigenous stuff fit into all this? I think this, yeah, this, this, all of this work is like trying to make up for not having been raised in an indigenous frame no because indigenous frames usually have some um, really nuanced language about the nested relationships and groups and the different rituals and processes you use to like go through your development process and, um, and how groups meet each other and what do you do with conflict and how do you, like, how do you deal with um, leadership and power and elders and um, without that being gross and coercive but that being you know, what's the role of an elder in a group? All those sorts of things are really pretty well established in a lot of indigenous cultures and a lot of collective cultures too. An explicit value in some of those indigenous cultures, for example, Maori, is that 
uh, the knowledge is not to be shared. Yeah. What also seems to spread is this authentic relating. I see like communities even here in Sydney. And yeah. I just recently, I think you pointed me to that I don't know much where it comes from or how old it is, but it seems to be pretty fresh and spreading all over. Yeah. One of the latest um, episodes on the Emerge podcast is interviewing, well, I forget their name. They've got like mm. um, the Integral Center or there's like a lot of related names for these different institutions, the Integral Institute, one of them. But um, basically it's an interview with the founder after he shut down the center mm. and that was the place where authentic relating came from. Mm. And he's super critical of it. He's like, He's like, on balance, I think it's doing more good than harm, yeah. but he really had to think about it to answer that question. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because it's kind of like, it's attractive in a way, and it satisfies a certain need, but he's, he sort of sees it as a potential dead end, that you kind of get yeah. stuck in this, like, yeah. enjoying the relationship yeah. and not actually... Um, doing anything meaningful in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a really good example, actually, of lineage, and like, that, just that story, it's like an hour and a half story of him exploring what he learned through the process. Um, I kind of want to do that with, um, yeah, the kind of parents and grandparents of Inspiral. So yeah. yeah. I don't know if they're interesting. He's kind of the um, granddad of social enterprise in the Taranaki. I guess I have. He wrote How I Communities guess, Prosper? I guess I have heard. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I in fact, I've even seen some of the stuff he wrote somewhere. Yeah, it came up through another link. Yeah, or maybe even Viv suggested it. So it's a research in the history of how to do functioning communities, decentralized communities. Yeah, and ones and functioning is in like they have. Maybe it's ones that have gotten mature enough to have children. You know, like that. There, um, like I think now, Inspiral is mature enough that it's starting to have children communities. So there's yeah. mindfulness for change. Scuttlebutt, um, and now whatever the thing that we're starting. Um, th there's probably something starting in Melbourne as well. Like, and that's, um, at least two of those are really stable already. Mm. And that seems to be like a um, maturity phase, you know, that we've gone to that. And I can imagine that if we did look at these stories, we'd probably find as well that there's another maturity stage. So that's the parent phase, and then there's probably a grandparent phase, and then there's probably a death phase at some point as well. You know, mm. like, how do you. Um, close this off well. Mm. So there's that kind of, that's quite high level stuff, that's at the congregation level. And then the stuff that I'm more called to is at the crew level. Um, because there you can't hide behind theory, you have to like just do stuff, you just have to, like we've done for the last week of, uh, there's six of us and we're going to perform a class for two weeks. Um, how are we going to relate to each other and what what are the power dynamics that emerge and how are we kind of like confronting those and managing them uh, and what happens when there's uh, difference and conflict and you know mm. and you know we're going to get paid for it and we are going to have to uh, meet the expectations of a bunch of complete strangers yeah <laughs> who are not in relation to us yeah. at all yeah yeah probably that there's a whole study on those kind of awkward um, awkward relationships between the, the circles that we're forming and the triangles that they're hosted by. I mean, that's a, a different, another difference between this work and the hum. Because in the hum, you know, there's always a formative beginning relationship. I suppose may, maybe Bernard is fulfilling that for this work, but 
was just thinking about the students as strangers to us. Yeah, I don't know. I, th I think it, I would. I, I really like that history uh, thing and research, but I'm coming out of, su of such an intense research process. I'm feeling more hunger for doing something uh, practical, yeah. uh, like developing the like art of hosting um, for working in small groups. Yeah. Um, that would be something that I would uh, really be looking forward to, uh, something, yeah, I mean, out of hosting is also more like they collected the World Cafe and the, the open space and sitting in a circle, so they collected some of that part, but um, there's probably more to it uh, that isn't addressed. From the sort of, um, I don't know, ideological or epistemological or something angle on out of hosting, I think that this is just one generation ahead. Because from my, at least from my training, so what is one generation? Micro solidarity. Yes. Because yeah. the out of hosting training that I had, at least, started from this introduction to complexity, yeah. and yeah. and that's for old people to cope with the complexity that's emerged over yeah. their lifetime, yeah. whereas young people uh, come ready made for complexity. Yeah. Yeah, and Toke, I mean, he's also seventy or in his seventies now, and he's he's like a guy who is who is totally into like Asian philosophy. And nature is peaceful and so on, which is or has always been a bit weird to me. Yeah. But he, at the same time, yeah, it's, he's a great facilitator. And mm. those uh, seventy-year-olds, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing that I'm sitting with, or that's present for me, is that you know we've we're sharing, or we've been sharing, you know, your stuff and Nati's stuff. Mm -hmm. I guess. To some extent, your stuff and Nati's stuff is kind of integrated, but there's still, still an important flavour difference. I mean, it's important not to integrate, for you to completely integrate your personalities because you've got individual contributions to make. There's your stuff and there's my stuff. Now we've got a new contributor, Luke, mm -hmm. and for me, I'm I'm very keen to work on that to mm. bring. I think Luke is bringing a dimension that none of us has. Mm. Uh, and he's clearly hungry for it, so mm. wow, let's go for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, the first impression was really good, and I would love to work with him. Like. Yeah. Some kind of trainings. Yeah. He's up for it, and I think it's extraordinarily lucky, the more I think about it, that just at the point where you're getting established here. He as well. You know, yeah. that someone who comes from here but knows the New Zealand mm. experience. Yeah. And then brings that back to here. Yeah, oh, that's it. That's the bumblebee. Incredibly fortunate yeah. Yeah. in terms of timing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's got the capacity for it. Yeah, yeah. There's so much serendipity there. Isn't there? I see this work um, as as part of the attunement thing. Is about attuning the language and the practices to the institutional context they're being deployed in. So there's one context which is about the academy and how I think how can um, maybe radical or rebellious teachers and faculty support each other to be happy despite the constraints they're operating in and also how can they support the students that are going to take a more radical thread. And then you've got the loop context which is like if you're working in government and you can see this like future that we're trying to hasten along, um, what's the language you need, like what are the most urgent problems to solve, where are the biggest opportunities that you can move in. And then my, my found, the community that I want to found is basically um, yeah, like people that have identified a lot with, with this kind of radical activism, lefty thing, and helping them bring that practice into 
bring those values into work, like um, self-employed, small-scale, collaborative work. Um, like I can see these different domains, like you're working with toy, and that could be a whole other one, which is a, a different kind of schooling. And, and mm. what I see is this, this work of basically translation and bridging and understanding that we're, we're basically confronting the same problems, but we have to maintain a distinct, some kind of distinct identity and distinct language for each um, context. Yeah. And, and to me it works on the, on the level of friendship, like that we ma maintain friendships with people in very different institutions and sectors and share our learning along the way. Um, and a lot of the, um, yeah, the people that we're encountering in Europe as well, they're also in very different contexts and will need some different language, but they're looking to me saying like, oh, you're pointing to something that I think makes sense for me too. So just a question on the micro-solidarity. Micro given those people you've seen kind of leap on it and come to you and say, I'm doing this stuff. Can we, kind of can we, this is an unspoken or maybe spoken, can we work together on this? Where do those people come from? What, do they have, is there a common? The first one to pop is uh, my friend Hugi, who is from Iceland. Um, he has like, been working with the Pirate Party and then he got really involved with the Borderland, which is like um, a Scandinavian mm. kind of Burning Man. And now he's recently joined Edge Riders, and um, and he has been involved with the Synthiest, uh Collective in, in Stockholm, which is like a, as I understand it, it's like a um, atheist spirituality or or a religion 2.0 thing. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole thread there on religion 2.0, um, but just bringing people together in in some kind of intimacy and co-production of meaning and all that. He's been doing that for years, and he his crew just recently took on a new uh, building called Blivande, I think, in, in, in the place in Stockholm. And they are running their, like, yeah, 2.0 religion, and a co-working space, and a bunch of social ventures, and a party, and it's all kind of happening in this space. And three days after I published the blog post, he came back and said, oh, we're doing what you're doing, now I'm going to use your language, it's much clearer than what I had been saying, and, it, and it's, more, it's got more credibility um, to have a, you know, like t to say that it's not just us, that there's a, there's yeah. a bunch of us doing that. Um, and he's even like trying to get work for us to do together, to working with some property developers to help them um, basically bring community into their apartment blocks. Mm -hmm. So like, he just jumped immediately, um, and he's one of these people as well that is totally biased to doing everything in public. So like, that message to me he wrote in, in a public forum. Yeah. Um, so all of the Edge Riders stuff, uh, that whole community organizes it transparently. What is Edge Riders? It's a more research-focused community. Yeah, so it's like a bunch of researchers mm. who are super decentralized, a big swarm, it's really easy to get in. Um, and they, there's a few of them in there, I don't know them well, but it seems like there's a few of them that are super connected and they do work with like the World Bank and the EU mm. and stuff like that. Um, and it's trying to help yeah, these like big old institutions understand what the future looks like and mm -hmm. what implication that has for policy development and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like a decentralized think tank, I guess. Yeah. Um, and they do experiments like that. There's this big one, which is the Unmonastery, and they're like, can we make a monastery for the future? Yeah. Uh, where people go and do... Unmonastery. I think the monastery or retreat way, I think that would be an ideal vehicle to 
to spread uh, relational practices and relational like curriculum like we developed uh, here. Yeah. Yeah. We, talking with um, Luke this morning about his own situation in the New South Wales Treasury, the first thing that struck me, that the first kind of challenge, is actually making a place to do this work. He hasn't found one in his, you know, four levels of inner city building. Mm. There has to be a place. Mm -hmm. That physical space is really crucial. Maybe it doesn't have to be permanently owned, maybe mm -hmm. you've got to share it, but, but there has to be somewhere. And especially that, you know, there has to be somewhere where you can accumulate the story of the work. I, I'm, I want to play with that idea. Go ahead. So, the ideal for me is yes, we should have our own space and we should be able to write on the walls. Um, because it kind of accelerates the learning. It's like as soon as you arrive, you're like, oh, here is us all over the, you know, yeah. the space. Um, but like, Inspiral is a good example of a group that should have a meeting house like that, mm. and we still don't. We don't no. And I think it's because it's an extremely high bar to be able to get that that resource together and use it well. Um, and I want to go in the other direction. I want to experiment in the other direction. We 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 toyed with it this year for our retreat, which which I want to do a decentralized retreat, and that would to me look like you go to a small community like Paikakariki. You gather in the community hall, and then all of the activity happens in houses down the street. So you'd, you'd rent a whole bunch of Airbnbs or whatever, um, get 60 people in 6 to 10 houses, and you would be spending the bulk of your time in houses, and you would just come together like once a day in the community hall, which is like, community halls are everywhere, that's a resource that's already established in most places, community centre or a church, like some kind of big room that already exists, mm -hmm. but that most of the work happens in, in spaces that already exist. And where do you keep what's valuable? Well, I mean, in the relationships and in the online documentation. I think that, um, that's been a reasonable, like it's obviously not the ideal, but it seems like it's worked reasonably well for Inspiral because it means that our meeting house is the internet and anyone else can read what's on the wall. And we could do a lot yeah. more. Like I've been, I've been really intentional with this congregation that I'm forming, that I'm documenting the whole formation process and publishing it. Like I intend with your consent to publish this conversation, so yeah. that people that are really interested can go through the archives and um, pick out the bits where we completely missed the opportunity that we should have, and it went horribly wrong, or identified the essence that they need to reproduce in their own community. Yeah, I think playing with this idea is absolutely the right thing to do because we we're not settled yet and experimenting with it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm really keen on, and I think you are too, on the learning as, you know, something that is a building block and continues to accumulate and accrete. Um, maybe that can be on the internet, as you say. There is always something about physical presence that's different. Yeah. Being together with each other. Yeah. And, and in the specific examples that Luke, were talk and I were, Luke and we were talking about, you know, you go into the Faranui and there are the photographs of, you know, the ancestors on the wall. Yeah. That's 
hard to do in virtual space, isn't it? Yeah. But it would be nice to have a space that helps you uh, congregate, where, where you know here is a place for reflection, here we do something together, here yeah. we feast. Um, yeah. uh, I think that's that what stuck is what stuck with me from the Maori uh, yeah. idea. And so there's a relationship between the behaviors and the physical space. And when you enter the space, you kind of acquire, you are clothed in the values mm. and the behaviors mm. and all the other things somehow by yeah. some osmotic process. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's important. Yeah. That's important. You know, Treasury in New Zealand have done that by actually setting up an MRI in a very ordinary, even ugly office, but it worked. Mm. You know, it worked, and it had some of their history and some of their stories on the wall. And you could feel when people came into that room, not a huge room, that it was somehow yeah, a bit different. I haven't seen it, but I'm guessing that there's a threshold. Yeah. Like as you're going from, I'm in the office and now I'm in the marae, how do you know that you made that transition? Okay, well, the main thing is that you take your shoes off outside the door, that's one thing. Uh, you, sit, you know, and there are little seats arranged to do that. Um, how, what else? And then inside, there's a whole other things. I mean, it's a glass-walled oh, wow. office, built uh, office room, mm. but it's also a marae. Lots of carvings, photographs. Mm. Um, the orientation of the room is very specific, so you know where the front and the back is. Mm. There are pull, okay, they don't make you go down to the ground as far as I know, but you know, that, that. They may have a remote connection to the ground. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but you know, it's unlike any other place in, in an office building. Yeah. It's not an ordinary office yeah. room. Um, and when you go in there, people behave differently. Yeah, I would love to create such rooms. So, yeah, 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 and it's not fancy. It's a, it wasn't you know super elaborate or somebody had taken care in the way that they put it together, but like um, low budget. I mean, I could even imagine that it could be something you might be able to assemble and then take away again. That's what I was just wondering. Mm -hmm. Like this last week in the classroom, it felt like we did create something that was us. Just by having a few objects around, a few things on the walls, having a guitar in the corner, yeah. like it all contributed to the sense of like this is a distinctive space. And as I was taking the things off the wall, it did feel like sad, you know. Yeah. Like, oh. Yes. What we didn't have was a threshold and an entry. Mm. Yeah. So that you know, there's an actual coming in. And a vestibule. Yeah. A vestibule. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Liminal spaces. But I do wonder if you could make something portable that basically you arrive and you and you inflate it. <laughs> you know, yeah. the simplest thing would be a few posters and you put them up. You know. Yeah. And as soon as those posters are there, you like you know that. I mean, when Nancy and I are traveling, we usually bring one or two objects that are just for making the space feel like it's our space again. Yeah. Because we're in a new house every week. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, with the micro solidarity, I wanted to really acknowledge that you did a, a you solved for me a big puzzle, or you tried to address it, yeah? yeah. Because I always thought, okay, we have these words. We have community. Community always implies sameness. We mm -hmm. are unity. Then there is the network. Network, you know, uh, is also like this uh, this uh, mathematical thing with the nodes and so on. It doesn't help me much. Then there are these philosophers like. 
Sloterdijk, uh, he's the, like the German philosopher, the big German philosopher at the moment, he wrote a three-book series called Spheres, where he uh, wrote back, the, where he said, you know, we should get, go back to a more like old Egyptian uh, uh, understanding of the world, like a pluriverse, and he spoke of foams, mm. but foams is also, yeah, it's very philosophical. It's better than networks, but um, yeah, so I was, I was always thinking we should some, devise some new words, you know, for community. I mean, it's, we, want, we don't want any unity, we want exactly the opposite, like building on difference. Mm. And I think that's what you achieved and that's really amazing, yeah? Um, now, I, of course, I want to understand in the future what kind of different crews can, um, mm. can become. So that would be my, one of my uh, research interests, like yeah, a mutual support crew and like the work family crew and uh, whatever, uh, like emotional support, yeah, whatever the crew. Yeah. So that's... Yeah. Crew is not about sameness. But I think that's on the center of uh, like this creating these new words and understandings. Um, because it feels like something really new, and that was the important thing for me. That, uh, that really. So, so quickly, so we're, we're just. I'm sorry. In a way, I've diverted the thing because it came out of this morning's conversation. Uh, the notion of a space, having a space, mm. but could we make experimenting with different ways of creating the space and and observing the results part of this research? Yeah, oh, certainly, certainly. I was just mm -hmm. distracted thinking about um, maybe maybe there's a reason that Inspiral hasn't really got a great space yet, you know? Maybe there's a kind of stage of maturity you get to where you've got enough um, resources in the, in the broader sense of the word to be able to sustain a whānui. And, um, and maybe it's good that we haven't got one yet because we're not ready for it. It's an interesting question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I want, yeah, a couple of, I'm sort of like looping around on a few things. One is, uh, thank you for the feedback. Mm -hmm. I have got it from multiple places that, um, that my skill of naming things has been really helpful. Mm. And for me, it's like the easiest thing to do. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing, actually, because when I got that back from, um, from Hughie saying like, oh, we're already doing this, but now we've got better language. Yeah. It just felt like I, I could relax. Like, oh, maybe I don't have to do anything apart from write stories. Like that could be, <laughs> that could be the whole job, and you know, have enough of a life that I've got stories to write, but um, that I don't have to do all the work. Like I can just focus on being very careful with the language choice. Like I call it a crew because crew for me is friendly, but it's also working. You know, like you're you're there to work, and I call it a congregation because you congregate. You know, like it's a verb more than anything else. It's it's and it's temporary to me. Like a congregation is this periodic thing that you do yeah. with a bunch of people. It's not your long-term identity. It's like this thing that you have in the background and occasionally you get to see it. Um, and also because it makes people feel awkward because it's got this church feeling. <laughs> and I think it's the right kind of awkward to feel. Um, but on the different kinds of cruise thing, so next week, this time next week, we'll be just settling into our opening circle of the Inspiral Members Gathering, which precedes the Inspiral Retreat. Mm -hmm. And in the Members Gathering, uh, we are going to be focused, like the main focus there is about commitment and deepening our sense of commitment to each other um, and our commitment to ourselves. Like I can imagine we're going to have some kind of ritual where I think we'll be making commitments, like vows to ourselves. Like this is, this is, this is, um, I promise to be this way. Or um, mm. so there'll be a little bit of making promises to each other, but mostly to ourselves, I think. Um, but there's a small part of the members gathering, which is going to be 
recruiting who wants to hold a crew. And it's not just a crew for members, it's a, it's a crew that's anchored by a member, um, but inviting of other people around in Spiral, mm. in the general yeah. field of Inspiral. And so then there's 25 people for the first two days, that's the members, and then the main retreat is 65 people. And uh, the, the red thread through the middle of that retreat is going to be about these crews and, and really saying, um, at least from our perspective, and it's still the multiverse, so you can choose your own adventure, but from our perspective, the most effective method, like if the question is, how do we support each other to do more meaningful work? The most effective answer we've found so far is start or join a crew. And uh, I, I'm reasonably confident we can explain a discrete list of like, these are some different kinds of crews we already know about, and yeah. these are some of the, the, um, the methods that they use. And, yeah. um, and what I'm imagining is like, a month after the retreat's over, we'll see 10 new crews established, um, most of them anchored by Inspiral members and including some Inspiral contributors from the, you know, the wider community and, and some other people that are just um, somehow related or interested. Yeah. And I want, that, I want that moment to be captured successfully from a, from a sort of research perspective of like, how are they all forming, what are they what's the conditions for success of, of coming together in the first place and like what kind of methods really help them go on well and um, and I'm hopeful that we can synchronize on the formation and on the like I'm going to ask people to make a six month commitment to their crew and to a particular method and then at the end of six months have some kind of structured reflection mm -hmm. and then those reflections go somewhere that's not just to the one crew yeah but it spreads out wider yeah nice um, what about existing crews so uh, there's a few. Um, Nathie's been holding two of them. Uh, she's got both of them, she calls them care pods. So they're really about personal development and being in a small group of people that are just holding each other to account on their personal development. Um, and they're using two different methods. Um, and the methods are like, you know, here's a particular theory about personal development and here's six weeks of questions that you can ask each other. Um, so like, what's what values do you want to bring more into your life and um, where's one thing that you can focus on this week to do more of that, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, I know that John has been holding one or two, I think um, Lucas has been holding one or two, that are all in this kind of like personal development. It's, 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 it's the spectrum between personal and professional development on those ones. Um, at the real deep end, the most intimate I think is um, like the professional family, so people mm. that have made a commitment to share, share their income, and there's a few of those, and that's like the highest bar, I think, just about in our, in our context anyway. Um, and I think we've got some cool case studies that, like all case studies, are deeply flawed. <laughs> like, um, the root system is finished, for instance. Has it? Yeah. They've broken up. Yeah. So getting that story and understanding what happened there, mm. I think, will be gold, and the instinct will be to avoid it. Like, so Dan's doing something different now? I don't know what Dan's doing now. Okay, so, so this is interesting, because from the old inspiring language of ventures, of which something like um, you know, Joshua and uh, uh, Josh Ford, and yeah, and so on's thing, which I, I've forgotten what the name is now. That's Rabbit. probably Rabbit. I mean, it's a. It's oh, they've a, renamed them. Yeah, they've renamed. I've forgotten what they've renamed, but they're they're. It's a great success. Yeah, they're they're really buoyant and doing really well. Every yeah. time I go there, 
together regularly. A bit more kind of ensemble and yeah. clear and yeah. focused. And doing big work too. Yeah, and doing big work, but they're kind of probably not really part of Inspiring. No, they're explicitly not part of it. Um, but anyway, that was the kind of earlier model. What you're, you, what you seem to be thinking about now is um, relationships that are less than all-embracing about people's lives. There might be some aspect of people's lives, and also they, they're not necessarily permanent. They can mm. be temporary. That's quite a big shift. Mm. It's more like a training course, like a relationship development training course, um, and you sign up for six months, and then uh, if it's really good, you'll probably want to do another six months mm -hmm. together. And then eventually you might get to the stage where, yeah, you buy a house together or you start a company together. Um, but most of them, that's not going to happen. And, the, and the, um, just having a learning experience with a bunch of people for six months is really the goal, I think, rather than let's start these professional families because it, it, the yeah that level of shared economic intimacy to me is so it's so risky, you know, like it's mm -hmm. so um, explosive when it goes wrong. And, is Scuttlebutt one of these things? Scuttlebutt's a congregation. It's a congregation that's bigger than a crew. Yeah. Um, and they're explicitly forming crews. Um, the first one being called the Fairy Ring. Okay. And they're so sweet. It's, it's just been phenomenal to watch them. Like I've had one foot in Scuttlebutt for three years, I guess, and keep standing there saying, like, I'm ready to help if you need any governance support, and they don't need it. Right. And they're now dealing with, like, well, They've had, I think, maybe $300,000 US injected into the community just through donations um, and distributed. And so on. Um, they've come from, um, they've come in lump sums from like, uh, mostly from crypto philanthropy, mm -hmm. uh, but they've been distributed by an increasingly um, decentralized process. Okay. So the first one was like the founder got a bunch of money and he said, oh, how about instead of me just handing this out, maybe I'll have a deliberation with the community and we'll decide together. And in the second round, um, he stepped out and he said someone else can be the moderator of where this thing goes. And now the third round, they have established a decision-making council, which is populated by representatives of people who are most affected by where the money gets spent. But each of those, so they're mostly like developers, but they're also concerned with diversity and inclusion and the developers are like mostly, um, mostly like Western, Northern, white men, um, and so they've intentionally paired each of those representatives with someone that is from a different demographic, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, trying to reach the people that are like the future users of Scuttlebutt. Right, right. So like there's, um, you know, activists doing really dangerous, radical work and um, needing high security, and then there's people um, who maybe they're like queer or something that they've had all kinds of horrible times on the internet elsewhere and they want to, um, the claim for Scuttlebutt is that we're creating a safer space on, on the internet, well we need to have those people involved in the decision making from the, from the get go, so like they've just been phenomenal on their governance design. Is Mick still a big part of this? Yeah, he's I think one of the key, Mick's and Mikey are probably the, the main reason that, mm. um, well, they're the main conduit of Inspiral wow. ways of being into Scuttlebutt. Mm -hmm. What a lot of growth in Mikey, eh? Oh, I mean, interview Mikey about root systems. There's, a, there's, there's such a good story in there. There's a bunch of really good stories in there mm. about finding his professional family and then getting into the next stage of nuance about great. 
commitment and participation and um, what works and what doesn't work and um, yeah how what he would um, what he would do differently next time and all that stuff. But he's just the most phenomenal host now. We met him as kind of a teenager in love. I mean, he was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort of escaping his parents for the first time, mm, almost yep. still living in his bedroom at home, even though he was in Wellington. Mm. That was my feeling. Yeah, but and now he he's like a, a now he's like a community elder, and so gentle and and caring, and um, it's an amazing yeah. story of inspiral, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, and I was going to say they got to the state, so there's this kind of like um, grant money that's come in, um, and they're really going for some big grants now. Um, but we've got the first big company formed. So there's a small company, Protozoa, which is a um, co-op of three. Um, so that's like a professional family, and they've been around for a year or so, and they're successful. Um, but there's a big, the first big company is formed. So Burst, which is um, uh, being the founder is Evan Henschelflat, who was the first developer at Twitter, and he raised a million dollars in two days, I think, um, from a, from a vague, very very vague idea about how he was going to build a company on top of Scuttlebutt, um, and he's pulled together a really awesome team, and they've got a really awesome product um, underway already, and he's been really careful to look after the relationships with the rest of the community, and he's the main um, one of the main sponsors of. The scuttle camp, scuttle camp, which is happening in two weeks. So, like, he's helped to get a whole bunch of people from like Brazil and all sorts of places to come together in New Zealand to like, wow, yeah, have a retreat together. Yeah, so they're having a retreat the day after the Inspire retreat. Oh, cool. Yeah, so there's this like beautiful overlap there. Cool. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. There's an extra kind of uh, relaxation on your shoulders. <laughs> All of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you did some massage. So relaxed. Yeah. Just chat it. <laughs> chat it. Yeah, psychological massage. No. You know nothing. Yeah, yeah we know nothing. I'm going to press stop on our recording. Ah, you were yeah. recording. Oops, sorry. That's right. Yeah, some amazing